Welcome to the podcast Benzo Tired. I'm your host, Naftal Benesti, and I'm Dutch. Join me on my journey into the world of benzodiazepines, withdrawal, bind, and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 33, Miranda Levi, author of The Insomnia Diaries, How I Learned to Sleep Again. And today it's April 17th, 2023. Hi, Miranda. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Welcome for being on. So can you tell me a little bit about why you stopped sleeping? all of a sudden um yeah well i mean there is a sort of longer backstory um but the main thing is i found out some bad news um about the end of um a relationship an important relationship a marriage um which um took me not entirely by surprise but i guess it was a shock um and my reaction was i went into a little bit of a kind of panicky you know i had small children as you can understand that we quite a big news for anybody really um and my first reaction was you know almost immediately to stop being able to sleep and and how did you um how long did that last before you sought help for that I sought help very quickly because I had quite an important job I was a um, editor of a magazine um so I had to work you know I had to keep the show on the road and I thought I can't sleep. I know what I'll do. I'll go to my doctor and tell them I can't sleep and see if they can give me any tablets. And what did you did you get? Um, so I went to my um, GP. This was in 2010. So it was a little while ago. So you would hope that perhaps they've kind of changed things a bit. But I went to my GP said, you know, I've, I've had some bad personal news. Um, I haven't slept. I think it was two nights or maybe three by then. It was over the weekend. And I said, you know, can you can I have some sleeping tablets? Or I can't actually remember if I asked, but anyway, that the um I think I probably did. And the GP didn't even look up, you know, he was in a rush. He had his little green pad as they did in those days, and he gave me um a week, I think it was a week's supply of Tamazepam, which is a benzo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did it work? Uh no, actually. I think I was in such a state that um you know nothing was going to touch the side so i think what happened was you know i tried it the first night second night you know i was having you know i had quite a big job and you know as anyone might know if you haven't slept at all even one night it's really terrible so i think i think on the third night i possibly took two of them um and that didn't work either so after um I kept going back and I think certainly until I got referred to a psychiatrist, which actually happened quite quickly, um, which doesn't always on the NHS and um, it, it did here. Um, I think I was giving sleeping pills. I think I was also given an antidepressant as, as well in that in that beginning period. Okay. And when the sleeping tablets that you first got weren't really helping um, and the antidepressants, what happens next? Well, then, then the adventure really started. Uh, I got, um, I got quite a quick referral, but I think I had made a few panicky phone calls by then. I can't remember now to um, an NHS psychiatrist, 
Um, and I, I remember it very clearly. I, I turned up at his office, you know, I'd been like six weeks without sleep during that period. Um, you know, trying, I think I'd given up work by then because I just couldn't, you know, um, or I'd been sent home sick and he put me on more benzos. Basically he put me on clonazepam, um, and that didn't work. And I rang within a week and then he doubled the dose. And I think, I think he put it up four times without, um, even seeing me in that period. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, as anyone know who takes these drugs, um, you know, clonaz God, this is going back a bit now, but clonazepam, it's not a sleeping pill. So it's a tranquilizer. So I w it wasn't really helping me sleep, but I was in this kind of quite nice, to be honest, zoned out sort of, you know, stage throughout the day. But, you know, as anyone will know, they <laughs> it stops working after a while and you need more. So, you know, I would take more. Um, it didn't work as well. I'd run out early. And then that, you know, that terrible cycle began. Right, right. And I, I want to fast forward a bit before we go back, um, because you wrote a book and um, maybe you can tell the audience a little bit about the book. And I'm personally wondering what drove you to write the book. Okay, well, the first thing to say is I was firmly out the other side before I could come close to writing a book because, you know, you don't particularly think very clearly or very productive uh, when you're on these hardcore medications. But, um, uh, yeah, I wrote, my book's called The Insomnia Diaries, How I Learned to Sleep Again, um, and it's basically about that period in my life. So it's a kind of a mixture of a, a, a memoir but there's also um, stuff in there from experts like psychiatrists, GPs, um, sleep experts, um, and, you know, tips. Well, I mean, that's an easy, very short word, isn't it, to describe a really difficult condition. But, you know, things I found that didn't help me help me, some of the terrible places that being on benzos took me, um, and how I got over that. Right. And I read your book and I, I think it's amazing how you get to keep humor into that book because I, yeah. I had a good, I, I had a good couple of laughs during this whole book. Yeah. I'm like the way that you write it down. Um, I'll, I'll not spoil you too much, but um, one of the things that you write about, if I may say so, is that, you know, you really get zero perceived sleep. Like mm -hmm. zero, zero, like, and, and, you know, your days oftentimes, or the pages will be like day, this zero sleep. And there's this one time that you said my, uh, minus two hours. Is that even possible? So that, <laughs> maybe, that gives like the audience some kind of, you know, a feeling of how you felt like you weren't sleeping, yeah. you weren't sleeping at all. And you even get, um, I'm not going to spoil it too much, but you get a liking to, what I would seem as a very boring radio station. <laughs> oh yeah, talk sports. Yeah. Yes, yes, of all things. Of all things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Fisherman's well, Blues. There used to be a fishing program on at five o'clock on a Sunday morning. Fishing. Um, <laughs> I am not interested in fishing. I live in a city. But right. um, yeah, I found myself listening to that in extremis. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Now, a few things that I want to touch on um, with the book is, first of all, um, you go through that whole thing of well, being admitted, be it uh, voluntarily, and you meet all these interesting people. My question to you would be is, what is your take on how um, mental health care or just health care in general in the UK is... 
I thought it was absolutely terrible. Um, and I'm not sure if it's got any better. You know, we've had a pandemic in between. Um, so I think, I mean, I have a lot to say on this subject, but I think they are too quick to medicate people. Meanwhile, the, uh, I mean, I should not have been given antidepressants and sleeping pills for the end of my marriage. You know, something really bad happened to me and I was really in, allowed to be shocked and upset and maybe even have some insomnia. And somehow there should have been somebody to help me through that with words, you know, talking therapy. That's the very, that's the very first thing I was. And, you know, as it became a mess, it became even more of a mess. You know, this tablet doesn't work. So a week later, we'll give you another one. Oh, let's double it. You know, they're guessing. I mean, you know, I, I have met some very good psychiatrists as a journalist and researching this book. But as a patient, I have met some met some really bad ones. Um, that's the first thing I would say about mental health care in this country. Um, there's not enough provision. I, the provision you have, I don't think is very good. I think they're very quick to slap labels on people. Um, that take you know that take away you know you are you know yeah that you know not that this bad thing has happened to you you are this um mm. i don't know if it's the same in other countries um and i'm hoping it will start to improve because i think there is beginning to be more of an understanding that psychiatric well well there is i know because that you know i've seen more research and have written articles myself about how psychiatric medication is being seen as problematic um, in that it doesn't work and it can create more problems than it than were there in the first place, actually. Agreed, agreed. And um, I'm amidst withdrawal, so I know all about it. Yeah, like well, you. you know, I'm, I'm not 100% off everything, you know. I'm not on the hardcore benzos anymore, but there is still some lingering effect. Um, and it's a pain, you know. I mean, I know that's a light-hearted way of describing it, but, you know, it, it, it leaves a long, a long tail being prescribed this stuff. Yeah, I've had guests on who were sick for four years, and uh, I've read stories and people that seem to be having some permanent residue damage or, mm -hmm. you know. So it, um, in terms of the clonazepam, um, that very, very potent benzo that you were on, you were yeah. off the benzos. Um, what were your withdrawal symptoms trying to come off of the benzos? Oh, God. Well, I mean, so, I, you know, I was a, I'm a journalist, so I was able... I. I was able to do some research. So I knew that these drugs were bad. And when I was first prescribed them, I didn't care, right? Because I was in such a state. Then as time went on, you know, I, I had a laptop, I had the internet, I did some research. Um, and I came across the Ashton Manual, which you may or may not know about. Everybody or, knows or about it. All right, everybody. Well, I'm not sure that everybody does. Well, everyone listening to the yeah. podcast series will know about okay, it. Okay, right. Well, then, so, you know, you read the Ashton Manual, switch to diazepam, and it's easier to come off because you can have, like, smaller increments. So that's what I did. I took myself to, <laughs> this is the big irony, which is also in the book. I went back to, I decided to take myself to the drug and alcohol service. Um, which was two floors below in the same building, the man who'd put me on these tablets. Mm -hmm. So that's the first massive irony. So I took myself and I actually, probably the best clinician I met was um, um, a, a, an addictions psychiatrist. And I told her, look, you know, I want to try and switch to Valium, diazepam, to come off the clonazepam. Uh, I was on the equivalent of 50 milligrams a day by then um, when you switched it over. I mean, how this was allowed to happen, I have no idea. Um, on prescription 
and she um she helped me draw out a um a taper plan um but it was you know i don't think it was terribly um accelerated but i couldn't stick to it so i took myself to rehab you know i ha i had a little bit of money i think i borrowed some money off my dad took myself to a private rehab and that's where things really went you know, to shit, forgive my language, went wrong. Oh, no, you can swear here, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can swear you here. Go, you can't go through this without swearing us. You can't, point. you can't. I yeah. think when I created this podcast and I, um, I didn't expect people coming on the show, it was basically originated to be more of, you know, an informative kind and my taper because I'm still tapering. I was like, I'll just tick a box with explicit because I'm probably going to, you know, swear to my doctors and like fucking doctors and fucking benzos. And I did and I still do. So, yeah, <laughs> feel free, feel free um, to swear on, on the podcast. Now, um, in the book, you also describe your kind of horrible experience in just well, everything like you're not being believed. Um, I think one of the things that I thought I read was that there's only one person that actually believes that you really haven't slept in like months or years or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So um, eventually, so God, the chronology. Yes. So I, I had, um, I went to rehab and I was whipped off really quickly and things went really bad. And that's kind of all in the book, what happened there. Um, and then I think I had to um, go home and live with my father because I was in such a terrible state by then. And while we, while I was living there, um, I sort of did some more research and I found out that there was a sleep clinic you know, a place absolutely dedicated to sleep in a, it's actually in a heart hospital, respiratory hospital in Cambridgeshire. So we went to, I had an, I had an, got an appointment there. I and mean, this is quite a few years on. Um, and I just met this doctor and I said, I haven't slept for years. Nobody believes me. And he said, I believe you. He was Polish. And I, I wanted to just hug him. You know, it wasn't necessarily anything he could do, but he, he believed me. And, you know, it's a very hard thing to believe when someone's saying they haven't slept for years. It, you know, it, you do think, how are you still alive? Well, the answer is I was still alive. Um, so even though, you know, I didn't get any help immediately and what happened actually wasn't really down to help, it was down to time. It was really, really important that someone didn't laugh at me or roll their eyes or just like say, yeah, she's mad. Right. And I, I think I remember that he said to you something about micro sleep, um, that that happens for you to stay alive if you're really not sleeping. Oh, yeah. This was later on when I I interviewed um, this guy called Guy Lesziner, who's a, an amazing neurologist at Guy's Hospital in London. Um, and he's a sleep expert. And um, he, yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, this is all quite complicated. But he basically said um you know we don't know is the first answer he said trying to investigate sleep um with the mechanism we have is like um you know looking at the bottom of the ocean while you're on the top with a snorkel as in we don't know anything really but he said it is it is entirely possible that there was a like a, a deeper part of your brain that was sleeping um but you know also the bit that you were aware of possibly wasn't and that, that doesn't sound like a very scientific explanation, but basically he's saying it's entirely possible that your experience was that you weren't asleep, even if some systems of your body, you know, were, had shut down, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. And I think in yeah. one of my episodes, um, because I tackle insomnia a lot, because that was my 
main thing <laughs> in the withdrawal yeah. and before. And um, just for your information, I was prescribed 90 milligrams of florazepam, which is about the equivalent mm. of 45 milligrams of Valium or diazepam right. for years. Yeah. So with refills, a um, yeah. yeah, it is a lot. Um, and as I know now, and as you know now, it doesn't actually help you sleep. It actually fucks it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it help it anything really, does it? No, no. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so um, I, I'm presuming here that you know the the benzo withdrawal didn't aid in your sleep as well. No, well, the thing is, I wasn't sleeping at all anyway. But what it did was it sent me mad. I mean, you know, that's the clinical term, right? You know, right. I couldn't, couldn't string a sentence together. I started hitting myself in the face, and I, you know, I actually damaged my eyes. So I have, so I have some permanent damage from from all of this mm -hmm. um i um you know so i couldn't work i you know I, I had a young family i wasn't able to really relate to my kids i mean that is better now i mean that's a whole different wonderful story you know the recovery if that's the right word and i'm, I'm not actually sure that it is the right word but anyway that has been fantastic but you know you know that's you know things have been really good for a good four years now but for like eight nine years before that they were absolutely terrible um and benzos i think I think, yes, I mean, I would think I would have recovered from a life shock a hell of a lot more quickly with a lot more damage than if I hadn't been given these drugs and increasing amounts of them. Yeah, I think I, I think I would agree with you on that in my personal story. And, and like I say on the podcast a lot is like, for some reason, we are able to clone ourselves. We can, you know, get to Mars, but this whole issue on insomnia <laughs> is not resolved. Some, I know, for some oh, odd reason, it is a mystery. So, it's so terrible. I mean, one thing I think I'm fan sounding probably a little bit too cheerful here, you know, in hindsight. But that hell of not being able to sleep, you know, like the first page of my book is all about like the sleepless night, and you know, you're just, you know. You know, for you look at the clock, the clock's winding down, it's two, three, four, twenty-five, you know, five minutes past six, and then it starts getting light. You see the you know, you see the, the you know, the grey light under the blinds, you hear the birds, and it's like I've lost again, you know. Mm -hmm. It's the most demoralizing, exhausting, lonely thing to have to go through, isn't it? In some it is. It hell, is. yeah. I'm going to be honest, I, I I think I had one or two or maybe three nights in my whole benzo withdrawal that I had nights of zero sleep, but I would yeah. have like one, two or three hours of sleep. And it's like your perception of time is different, in my opinion, yeah. because your days yeah. are endlessly long. <laughs> You're too tired to do anything. Um, it's just it's it feels like forever. It's like this twilight zone of time bending madness. It really, really. Is. Like, I mean, the way I describe it in my book is like you know life is normally like it has sentences it has full stops and then you start again and when you don't have that you know it's just one long thing <laughs> it's yes. just it's like it's almost like something out of kafka it's like this shouldn't be allowed <laughs> yes <laughs> yes i agree it <laughs> and it's yeah. just so it's like it's torturous really yeah now now one of the things that i really like about your book and i'm gonna give a personal comment on that as well is that you really researched all about insomnia and you do have experts um stating things in your book um and on a personal note note is i think maybe i'm lucky that before tapering my benzodiazepines and i didn't know it was going to be 
such a hell, I had received cognitive behavioral therapy for sleep. Huh. And yeah, and I have to say um, that really did open, it was very helpful for me um, for, for all these reasons. But one of them was like, oh, I'm actually doing all of these rules, unquote rules that they have um, in order for you to like restore sleep and have that rhythm again. I'm like, oh, I'm doing most of that. Second thing was, is, oh, there's actually no sleeping tablet for sleep that is safe. And I was kind of, that's kind of a bummer because I was kind of hoping <laughs> <laughs> there would be another drug for me to fall asleep again. Yeah. Um, but that your body is supposed to take care of that. So, but it, they don't tell you or they didn't tell me like, oh, but you've been harmed by benzodiazepine. So you're going to have very bad insomnia for a very long time. So they didn't tell me that. I was like very, oh, if I quit these drugs, I'll start sleeping again. Yay. Maybe they'll yeah, be. They, yeah. <laughs> they don't tell you that. They don't tell you much. No. Nope. Um, and they still don't, actually. Um, I think the only thing that you one, one can say is better is they're really trying to crack down on prescription at the beginning of benzos and Z drugs. But for a lot of people, it's too late or you have to be helped, which is one of the things that you know, I'm, I feel quite strongly about is yes, at one end of the spectrum, you know, don't give them out anymore, or only give them out for a week or 10 days or whatever. But what about the people who are already on them? Don't make us feel like criminals. Don't don't threaten to cut us off. You know, every month, I'm still on Zopiclone. Every month, when I have to renew that prescription, I live in absolute fear that they're going to say no one day. Right. And I'm and I start I feel like a criminal. Because I'm on this drug that um, that that you know doctors were put me on, and before people say, "Oh, by the way, well, no wonder you can sleep. You're on Zopiclone." I was on Zopiclone for seven or eight years, and I didn't sleep at all. So I make no apologies for still taking this drug, mainly because I'm so scared of the rebound insomnia and the withdrawal symptoms. There is nothing that you have to be ashamed for. Um, we've tackled a lot of things in my podcast series. I am currently on five milligrams of diazepam slash Valium. I am uh, planning on tapering. Um, but if I end up don't, then that should be my prerogative, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. But my worry is the kind of the med the doctors who are like gods who, you know, if you move house or you get a new GP or someone who is quite evangelical about this, uh, you know, with reason, you could argue, you know, if you, you you're, you're fucked, if you don't mind me using that. Yeah, you are. If they decide one day, oh, you're only on five milligrams. You might as well, you know, what's the difference? You know, we'll just stop. And I, I, I think another thing there needs to be more understanding of is that these tiny amounts, I mean, it's not tiny, but, you know, compared to what you were on, can just keep you going. And you need it for your actual health to be able to get through the day. It's not actively, like, tranquilizing you. It's just helping you feel normal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing that people need to really discuss a lot in, like, you know, doctor surgeries. Yeah, definitely. And I think overall, um, and I've done my fair share of research on benzodiazepines, um, because that was kind of my thing, what I was like, oh, I've been poisoned. Oh, this is not just a sleeping tablet. It's so much more. Um, so I really delved into the subject. Um, and I think overall, the community, the benzo community, um, the ones that are wise, at least, are very like, you know, you need to do a slow to taper. You have to be in control of the taper. You can pause whenever, whatever. It should be your call. You're already physically dependent on these drugs. Um, you were made physically dependent by someone else so that, you know, you have to take control. Um, and you, or at least you should be allowed to control your own taper. Yeah, no, no, no. I totally agree. Um, you know, it's just, you, I, you know, you are still in beholden to another human being to, who, who will say yes or no. 
who maybe isn't as enlightened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the definitely. Book, you know, so, but for definitely. sure, totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. So what is the, the lesson in terms of insomnia that you learned for yourself? Because there's a lot of lessons to be learned from your book, but what is the one that was very personal for you, like an eye-opener to you in terms of insomnia? Well, I think that that's quite a difficult one, but I suppose now um, if I have a bad night i mean you you talked about cbti cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia um i don't get into the spiral so if i have a bad night i kind of shrug and i say okay i'm having a bad night i'm going to feel a bit shit tomorrow but i'll probably sleep all right tomorrow night you know i've got a, a deadline or you know i had a bad conversation at work or you know there's a reason um and it's not you know it's it's a real cbt thing isn't it but not to catastrophize you know it's like i'm not it's it's not i'm not going to ever sleep again it's um i'm a good sleeper i'm just having a bad night and and that really helps me you know sometimes i'll say okay and i'll get up and i'll make myself a cup of tea and a piece of toast and i have a bath and it's like 4 a.m 5 a.m and sometimes i just go back fall back to sleep again afterwards you know it's just it's removing the pressure yeah, it's it's really needed. I think one of the things, oddly enough, my life had to collapse to realize this. <laughs> but yeah, for me, so. um, in withdrawal, um, I'm too sick to work. You know, it's um, I'll have good days and bad days. But not having uh, any responsibilities in the morning or in the day is a, a, a huge relief for me. In my yeah, personal, I mean, even if I don't yeah. sleep, even if I feel super fucked up, there's no one that needs me tomorrow and that kind of helps with my cbt yeah i mean i wouldn't say you're lucky because obviously you're not lucky because you you've obviously been through a hard time but it's difficult if you have a job isn't it um and sometimes you just have to fight your way through if you do but yes but however however whatever you use in your mind to take the pressure off yourself then you do it don't you so um I would say that. And, you know, by the way, I went through years of not working as well. So I know how tough that can be. Mm -hmm. And can you tell the audience a little bit about the process of writing the book? Um, sure. Well, I mean, I was lucky in that I was already a journalist. So I had some sort of, you know, I had quite a body of work and years of work behind me. You know, I'd been working for God, I don't know, 20 years or something before this happened. So um, when I started to get better, you know, let's see, I um, got back in touch with, actually, you know, the first thing, yeah, basically I got back in touch with a couple of editors that I'd worked for. And I thought no one would ever want to know me again because it had been like eight and a half years since I've worked in journalism or in anything. So I had an idea. There was something in the news about um, a celebrity suffering with insomnia and like moaning that he'd missed like three days sleep or something. And I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> so I wrote an article for a national newspaper here that they published. And then soon after that, again, you know, again, I was lucky I had contacts in the business um, and a different newspaper asked me to write an online column um, called The Insomnia Diaries about sleep. And then I pitched it to an agent and I was very lucky. I mean, it is, it's not easy to get a book published, you know, through traditional means really, but I was very lucky that, you know, the agent liked the idea of it and, and um, found a publisher who commissioned it in a nutshell. And, and, and did you get responses from the book? Yeah, I mean, yes. 
um, lots of quite a few personally, even this morning, someone tweeted it from Bondi Beach from Australia, you know, saying they were wow. reading it. So, um, I, yes, I, I did. I had quite a few personal emails, um, which, you know, which is really gratifying and lovely, you know, that you've helped even help someone feel less alone, even if you can't present them with a solution, because um, there isn't or there isn't a solution, is there? There's some things that might help or that, that helped me. But, you know, I, the main thing I like is that I help people maybe feel less alone or see that you can come out the other side. Because you, you go back to me, even five, six years ago, I would have said there is no chance that I'm going to like be able to live a functioning, independent, capable life, or even be able to say those sentences that I just said to you. Mm -hmm. So if it can give people some kind of hope, you know, then that's something. Definitely. And I enjoyed it very much. And um, for me, you know, when you're comparing stories, you're, you're like, I was like, oh, my my insomnia is the worst of everyone's, you know, and, and mine <laughs> is just torturous. And then you read your book and you're like, okay, no, <laughs> it can be worse. It can be worse. And in and, and terms of solutions, uh, Miranda, what I would think is, um, but that's kind of my overall political, I don't know, weird kind of thoughts about life and the system, as you will. I think we should get classes about insomnia at school or, you know, some some cognitive behavioral therapy at school or by our parents or whatnot. Like sleep is so important to us, but we don't really ever discuss it or learn anything about it at school and i you know and that maybe could prevent us from you know dealing with this shit when we when we get older just people I'm, I'm sure you can relate but i think there's a lot of people who just can't imagine what it's like to have like no, two shitty no, nights no, no. i think the world fits into two very strict camps people who have no idea what you're talking about and never will and those who do I think that, you know, there are those people who go, oh, you know, I don't understand. I go to bed, I put my head on the pillow. Oh, nine hours later, it's the morning. What's the problem? And, you know, and then there are people who do, okay, there is a, like a, a spectrum of how much people do suffer, suffer with sleeplessness. But, you know, some people, and I, and I remember the first night I didn't sleep. It's not in the book, actually, but it was before a maths exam. And I was worried because I wasn't that good at maths, really. And I just remember going to bed and, and like I was awake all night and it got light. And I was like, I didn't even think this was possible. I didn't think that such a thing existed as being stay awake, staying awake all night long. Mm. You know, mm. it's a real shock the first time that happens to you, I think. Yeah, I think I did a whole episode and it's titled, um, the, it's just a solo episode. So just me talking, annoying the audience, I guess. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's titled mm. My Complicated Relationship with Sleep. And the thing was that, or is, is that I never really had problems with sleep. But if I would have some sort of bad night, I could always regain it like the next day. But I was very sensitive to bad sleeping. Like mm. I would be so cranky if I had a, a, a cruddy night or whatnot. Um, and I basically slept my way through school. Literally, I would just not show up at school because I'd stayed up really? all night. Yeah. And <laughs> by the grace of whoever, um, I still got a degree because I, 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 I scored on my exams really well. I was, you know, a good student that way. But I was like, oh, mm. oh. I would wake up at seven and my alarm would go I'm like, oh, this is too early. And then I would shut the alarm and then, <laughs> oh, it's 11 a.m. Oh, I've missed two periods already and then fall asleep again and so forth. Um, so mm -hmm. I did struggle with that. Um, 
But then the tinnitus came and that really changed things for me. And I really couldn't oh, sleep. And yeah. and I, I before I went to a GP, I, I went to like a, a local drugstore and got some herbs and stuff. But that state of panic and noise in my head, there was like, well, it wasn't going to cut it. No, no. So I, I really went to, to the GP desperate. Give me anything because I'm 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 ready to jump off the roof. There's like, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I know that. Yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing. Well, I'm sure there are things that are as bad, but it's pretty up there, isn't it? With terrible things when you can't sleep and and you just it's going to just carry on. You you yeah. would do anything, wouldn't you? And we, which we did, which we did. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I made a joke in another episode when I had someone on, I was like, you know, now that I know what I know, I, I, maybe I should have just taken heroin or something. Maybe that would have been easier to come yeah, off. Yeah, <laughs> well, it well, the answer is it would have been easier to come off, but it's probably not a, the wisest choice. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. So if, if people <laughs> if people are gonna um, um, buy your book and read it, um, that that would be great. But mm. could you tell the audience about how you're doing now, like after the book, because um, you published it in 2021, I think. Yeah, it came out in 2021. So there's quite a lag between you finishing writing something and it coming out. But uh, yes, yeah, so. Um, while, all the while I was writing the book, I was sort of getting my career back as a freelance journalist uh, for newspapers and magazines. And about 18 months ago, I went to work on a newspaper called The Daily Telegraph. Um, and that's what I do now. So I have a job on a newspaper and I'm just starting writing my third book, which is a novel. <gasps> that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. That's so, that's so cool. <laughs> That's great. So yeah. So so to wrap up the show, what I always ask my guests who have been in benzo withdrawal, are there any words of wisdom that you would um, want the listeners who are currently in withdrawal uh, yeah. Ooh, that you want give, to share? Yeah. Well, give yourself time, and then give yourself more time because it's going to take longer than you hope or think. But well. I think I I got there in the end. Obviously, you can't say what happens to everybody or for everybody. But that's the thing. Keep going. Keep going. Thank you. Thank you so much, Miranda. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And no, enjoyed we'll it. Touch. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. Remember, it's not a race. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash